Hey guys, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Welcome back to the podcast tonight. Somebody I'm looking forward to getting to know. We've sent some messages back and forth on Instagram where I spend a lot of time. Uh, he's got a couple different pages there. Um, let's go this route. 34 years retired out of Montgomery County, Maryland, fire rescue down there. As a battalion chief, he's now the assistant chief of volunteer services for the Frederick County, Maryland Fire Department, David Polikoff. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me. It's an honor to be here. Been following you for quite a while. That's cool. I always enjoy that. And it's like, oh, I, I know who you are. Yeah, I love the talk. I'm like, so when I sent you a, a message, you were like, yeah, let's chat, man. And I was like, this is what I want. Like, I think conversation is so important. And I think it's so underrated. And I think so many people shy away from it. Um, but I feel like guys like you and I, we enjoy conversation, especially conversations that get people talking. It's important. Yeah, it's it's one of those stay off of this, hmm. you know, and, and do some face to face talking. You know, my wife brought up something the other day. She goes, "You notice how kids don't talk on the phone anymore?" Yeah, you know. And I was like, "You're right. It's always messages and TikToks and reels and instant messages." So you know, like my kids, face. my kids live on uh, Snapchat. Like that's how they communicate with their friends on Snap, and it's like they don't even text. I can text my kids and I'll get an answer back right away. And I go, Hey, we're what? Like I finally get a hold. Well, you didn't answer my text. Like, Oh, I'm sorry. I don't really look at my text messages. Like right? I don't answer text messages. It's crazy. <laughs> but they go through Snapchat. I'll even watch my kids go to a friend's house and they don't even ring the doorbell anymore. They'll text when we pull in the driveway that they're there and their friend meets them at the door and they open the door for them. They don't even, they don't even go up and knock on the door, or ring the doorbell anymore. Well, that's why two old dogs like you and I had to kind of figure out how do we how do we uh, reach the younger generation? Well, you know, they're on Instagram, they're on TikTok. So, well, that is a very good point. I guess it brings us to the conversation tonight. Um, there's a couple things, right? So, um, on top of your career in the fire service, uh, you also have a longstanding career, and you're a life member of the Kentland Volunteer Fire Department out of PG County. Um, Sykesville, I believe you said, is your is your home volunteer department. Yep. Being the assistant chief of volunteer services. I mean, these are these are aspects in your career that make you lean back on your traditional foundation of the volunteer fire service where you are today in your career service. Yeah, I started uh, as a volunteer in uh, when I was 12 years old uh, as a junior member in Prince George's County. Uh, my uh, stepdad, who was actually on, on my, my last my podcast this month, we talked all about that. He started as a junior member at the Greenbelt Fire Department. That's where I started as a junior member because they took you at 12. So been involved in the fire department since I was 12. But, you know, my mom was uh, was in the auxiliary. And like I said, my stepdad was in the fire department. So I'm third generation between my grandfather, my stepdad, and myself. So uh, it's the family business. It's, it's in yeah. the blood. Yeah. I love that. And I mean, that influence early on then from 12, I mean, 12 is pretty early. So PG had a program for, for that young of an age group back then. Yep. We didn't, uh, they didn't have dry erase boards. So it was all like the push letters on the, uh, on the blackboard. And and basically we'd have to be there on the weekends and uh, we had chores that we had to do, believe it or not. We, we went down there, we vacuumed, we mopped the floor, we cleaned the bathrooms, washed the windows on the fire engine. If it was a good day and the fire engines were dirty, we actually got to wash the fire engines. So, I mean, we look forward to, uh, to get into the firehouse to do these chores over the, you know, the Saturday and the Sunday, we'd ride our bikes, me and like four other kids that were junior members, we'd ride our bikes to the firehouse and we'd be there all day. 
Um, I'm but sure it, we were pain in the ass to the older members, but you know, we were doing what they wanted us to do. Yeah. But think about what that did for you. Right. I mean, talk about a foundation, a, a really star, a really strong starting point, taking pride in the equipment, ownership of the equipment, ownership of the building, the way you presented yourself, the way you presented your company. That's huge. And for a 12 year old to be able to have those, I don't know, those parts of life instilled in them at such an early age, especially by a group of men that like I knew growing up, like the, the firemen in the firehouse that I grew up in, I looked at them like they were giants. Absolutely. You know, a lot of them, and believe it or not, you look back at them, a lot of them were, you know, in their twenties, you yeah. know, yeah. they were young, right. but I mean, I'm looking at them like, these are like grizzled adults, you know, where my dad is a Vietnam veteran and my grandfather's a world war II veteran. And of course they had those sprinkled in there along with the career guys that were assigned to that department. Some of them were Vietnam vets, but you're right. You know, being 12 years old and looking up at these 22 year olds, just like these guys are gods, you know, they're yeah. going out when the bells go off, they get to go on the fire engines. There was, I mean, that I can still, I can still remember the image of these guys, you know, the way they, the, the horse plan, the firehouse, how they joked around. And then as soon as it was time to go to work, they would, I mean, everything stopped their demeanor changed, And it was like, they were giants. And as a little kid looking up at these guys, um, man, I, I still think of it today. And I hope that I present myself the same way, maybe to my kids when they were growing up, but I just don't think. I did. I, I think these guys, I have this, just this, I put them on, on a pillar, you know, on a podium in front of me. And I just look at them like they were the reason why I wanted to be better. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, and why I wanted to, you know, advance once you got to the age of 16, you were allowed to be what they called a, a senior member. Um, once I turned 16, I, I was, we were living in Montgomery County at that time. Um, I left Greenbelt to join Burtonsville, which was my hometown fire sure. department as a 16 year old. I was the high school cadet. Um, that's all I wanted to do was be a high school cadet because I'd go to school four periods a day instead of seven. And uh, three days a week, I'd be at the firehouse. The other two, I'd be at the train academy. What more could you ask for? Doesn't get much better than that, right? I'm getting credits to go to the firehouse. All right. <laughs> yeah. And this is a program too, like Burtonsville. I've been there. I mean, that that is a busy house, right? There's a lot of work being had. Um, and just a great place to, you know, grow up and learn the job. Yeah. When I started there, we were at the old firehouse, which is down in old Columbia Pike. Um, and back then we were running less than a thousand calls between the ambulance, the rescue squad and the engine. We didn't have a truck back then. So we were running less than a thousand calls. I remember when we broke a thousand calls, we had a party. Yeah. Right. You know? And now those guys are running like six, 7,000 calls a year. It's crazy how much they're going out the door down there for mm -hmm. sure. So what did that look like for you then? I mean, having a foundation, a strong foundation, a third generation, I mean, your your ways were kind of, I guess, um, planned for you. I mean, they were pre-planned long before you had a say as to what you wanted to do then. So getting into the career fireside, what did that look like? I mean, how old were you when you got hired? Well, I got hired when I was 18, so I was very fortunate. Um, I knew I knew what I wanted to do when That's I was in seventh fire. grade. I knew I, once I became a junior member, I knew I wanted to be a career firefighter. Um, so it was everything I was doing was working towards that. Yes. So when I became a high school cadet um, in 11th grade, so 11, uh, the whole year of 11th grade, we did fire one and fire two. And then in 12th grade, we did uh, EMT. So we were Maryland State EMTs by the time we got finished with that program. So when I came out, I already had the foundation. I had taken some classes along the way as a volunteer. Um, by the time I got hired, uh, I graduated high school. I had, a, I had a late birthday. So I graduated when I was 17. Um, so it took me uh, almost a year to get hired. 
and uh, which was very fortunate, especially at the age of 18. I mean, what can you, what more can you ask for? Um, so I was, uh, we were hired back then. We weren't a county department. It was still individual corporations hired oh, okay. their employees. So wow. I got hired at the Silver Spring Fire Department. And to me, that was the big city. Um, Silver Spring is right on the DC line, right on the upper Northwest uh, and part of North uh, upper Northeast. Um, so to me, that was like the big city coming from Burtonsville, which is, you know, cow country to, uh, you know, high rise fires and things like that. So yeah, I was like a kid in a candy store, but when I got hired, I mean, best day of my life, you know, one of the best days of my life. Um, it was, it was unbelievable. And you know, that 20, you 20? walk into that fire. What's that? No, I was just going to say 25 when you're 25 years old, you're a kid. I can't even imagine 18 years old being high. I know. Wild. I know. Uh, I, I, I had, uh, I was a little hyper, you know, I was a little <laughs> hyperactive. Um, but I know when I got there, you know, I was pure entertainment for those guys. Yeah. Um, and uh, probably some of the best firemen I'll ever work with uh, took me under their wing and, and, you know, just showed me the way. And, and uh, I was accepted right away as a, uh, you know, cause they knew all I want to do is go to work. I just wanted sure. to go to do jobs. Um, you know, they, uh, they accepted me. And like I said, I provided a lot of entertainment for them. Cause I was, you know, 18 year old kid with, uh, I think the next guy close to my age was 11 years older than me. So, right. you know, right. everybody else was only put older. him at 29. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> That's absolutely crazy. I love it. I mean, what a great start though, but it kind of just makes sense, right? Like who you are getting to know you through this conversation. It just kind of makes sense. I mean, you know, it, it, like I said, I knew what I wanted to do when I was, yeah. you know, in seventh grade yes. and uh, got hired and uh, I never looked back. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I spent a lot of time at each rank, um, never thought about having, I got to promote fast. I got to promote fast. And, you know, we see we see these traps of people promoting too fast, um, you know, and not able to handle that particular position. And then they try to move on to the next spot. I spent a lot of time in each uh, position as a firefighter. I spent like seven years as a firefighter before I became a master, which is basically like a technician. Right. And I did uh, probably five or six years as a technician before I became a lieutenant. And I think I spent five years as a lieutenant. You know, you only had to do two and you could get promoted to, into each rank. So I spent like five as a lieutenant and got promoted to captain. I did nine years as a captain. I had no desire to be a chief, um, mm -hmm. but it was uh, on a whim. My captain, when I was a lieutenant, said, hey, go to the National Fire Academy and take a couple of classes. One of them was uh, um, managing alarms. You're learning about the NIMS system and stuff like that. It was This was right after 9-11. Right. And uh, so I learned about NIMS. And, and uh, in Montgomery, we were already training our officers to take that tactical command, that initial command, um, so we were already running house fires, building fires, things like that until that command officer got on the scene. So we were able to, uh, effectively while we were engaged in firefighting activities to manage one or two other companies, because that's how we were trained. Um, when I went to the national fire Academy, take that class and I took managing multiple alarms with people from all over the country. Mm. And, uh, these people were struggling and these were deputy chiefs and assistant chiefs. And at that time I was a captain uh, managing a house fire. And I was thinking to my, I was telling my wife, you know, I'm not, not trying to sound arrogant. I said, but if this is what we have to offer as command officers, I said, this is pretty scary. You know, we, we kill over hundred, what, 120 firefighters a year. And these are the incident commanders and they're struggling with house fires. And these are things that we do all the time. 
So after, you know, kind of running that past my wife four or five times, it was basically, you know, shit or get off the pot, either take, mm. take the battalion chief's test or shut the F up. And uh, so, I, I think that speaks though to, I, I still think we have a lot of that today. How much our system, our fire service varies across the country by zip code to zip code. Mm -hmm. How very different it is. You guys in Montgomery County at the time were ahead of the curve, right? You were you were applying uh, theory and, and practical experience and, and knowledge into your fire ground that other departments weren't doing. Um, and being ahead of the curve, I think, sets you up because when you're when you're in a department, when you're raised in a department or a company that gives you all those tools and is progressive and forward thinking, it makes you better. Even when you take it for granted, like a lot of times things are good or the way we do it, we take for granted that that's what we know. And as soon as we step out of the comfort of where we come from, we realize, whoa, it's different out here. You know, it can be very different. And I still think in 2023, there is a major, um, a, a major, uh, I don't know, di difference. It varies across the country as to how we deliver our product to our customers. No? Yeah, agreed. And, and it, it's funny you, you make mention of, you know, how we take things for granted. I'll yeah. be the first to admit, you know, in the mid-Atlantic area, we're very resource rich. Sure. You know, we have lots of, you know, when, when we get a, a box alarm in Montgomery County, you know, you're getting five engine companies, two trucks, a rescue squad, an EMS unit, and two battalion chiefs right on the get-go. So you're, you're bringing... Yeah, you're bringing like 30 people to the fire ground right, right, right away. Right. So I recognize that. And and I would tell my guys when they start, you know, kind of pooping on the system and talking about, you know, this place is this and this place is that. I said, you need to go to the National Fire Academy and you need to sit in with people from across the country and take a class. And you'll humble yourself right away to know how much you actually have, how far ahead of the curve we are because of the area that we're in. You know, we've got Washington, D.C. Fire Department, Prince George's Fire Department, uh, Montgomery Fire Department, Fairfax, you know, all of the Nova area. We're all on, on that same kind of hub of learning. So it's we're resource rich. Yes. And, um, you know, don't ever take that for granted because there's people out there that would love to have our problems. Um, so it, it was, uh, you know, once you kind of recognize that, then you can, you know, start to apply what you learn for the organization that you work in and, and understand that we do have it pretty nice. We do have yeah. it rather well. I was just having this conversation over the weekend about like insular departments and where, you know, years ago, so many guys were, they only knew what they knew in their own department. They didn't need to, or have the ability to get out and see how other things were being done. And when you become insular like that, you, you might become very, very good at what you do and where you ride. But there is more to it, and there can be opportunities out there that if you're now willing to go find and seek it, which it's more prevalent than ever, I mean, all you have to do literally is go on YouTube, and you can have the ability to see how it's done elsewhere. And you could judge for yourselves, but at least it's another influence. It's it's giving yourself an opportunity to open up the, you know, open the, open the book, open the cover, if you will, and see what else is out there. Um, other opportunities, you might find something that works better for you. You might find an answer to a problem that you guys have had for 25 years. You haven't really come to a great way to do it yet. And all of a sudden you see it one day and go, whoa, there it is. You know, mm -hmm. I think we're in a good place today. I really do. I think there's a lot of opportunity, more opportunity today than ever before. Would you agree? Absolutely. There's there's so much at our fingertips now that uh, of, of learning classes, 
um, the training that's out there, the uh, the caliber of people that are out there learning more of the craft and then bringing that information back and uh, being able to uh, apply it or to see it and maybe apply it to your organization. You know, it all goes back to, you know, what might work for your organization might not work for mine, but parts of what you're doing. Yeah. I could work for that in my organization. And, and you know, that that's how the fire service is. We don't own, you know, incident command. We don't own, you know, cross lays and minute man packs that, that was passed down from, from generation to generation. But then we have different variations of things that work, work well for, where you work uh, or where you volunteer. So, so there's so many things out there, so many resources, so many uh, avenues for us to get information, share information, which is important um, to make the fire service better. So yeah, we've definitely come a long way just since the nineties, you know, we we've come quite a, a, a long way. Well, and that was, I'm glad you kind of segued that way because that was going to be one of my next questions for you is, 34 years, you retire, and now you're still going because you're a young guy, hired at 18. I mean, you got a lifetime ahead of you still, and you already have a lifetime in the fire service, which is just exciting, right? Because you're built on old-school mentality, old-school traditions, the guys that raised you, your mentors back when you were that impressionable at that young age. I mean, those guys gave you a solid foundation to lean back on. But now, fast forward all these years later, you're still a young guy. And you're still very much in tune with today's way. And so you're taking old school values, old school mentality, but, you know, and then mixing it up with today's delivery. That's pretty exciting. I think that that's what really gives us dynamic leaders in the fire service today. Yeah, I preach, you know, aggressive uh, firefighting and uh, and I, I I make sure that people understand that aggressive doesn't mean reckless. Aggressive means that you're hard hitting and you're doing the job precisely. Um, that's what aggressive firefighting is. And it's even in my signature in my in Frederick now is we are a, an aggressive interior firefighting organization. Um, it's what we do. And, and people out there is like, well, aggressive, that's just reckless. Well, no, then you obviously don't know the difference because if you approach a fire overly cautious, that's when you're going to get hurt. Um, or you're not going to, you're going to fail to do your job. Yes. So you have to be aggressive in this job. Um, and that's where, you know, you learn these new tactics by networking with people, by seeing what other people do. You know, we're fortunate enough that we get to travel all over the country and teach and we get to see how other people do things. We get things from uh, small rural departments that may run a couple hundred calls a year, but the way that they're doing it, I'm like, man, we could we could adopt that. Yeah. where we are yeah. and uh we could use that and we and we tell people we joke when we teach we say uh you know hey you know if you have something by all means throw your hand up and tell us if it's a great idea we'll use it we won't give you credit for it but we're going to use it but um <laughs> yeah, you know yeah. absolutely the, you have to be that you have to have an aggressive edge in, in in firefighting especially the way buildings are built now obviously we talk about interior uh components and how they burn faster so your lines have to be lighter. Your nozzles have to be better. You know, your fire engines have to be better. Your gear has to be better. Your firemen, firefighters have to be better. And in order to continue to do the job, it's not like it was, you know, back in, I wasn't fighting fire in the seventies, but I know the, the components were a lot different than what they are now and uh, how these buildings are burning. It's fun to watch. I mean, you, when you look at the fire service, I mean, I've, I've been in it less than, you know, about 29 years. I think this year would be my 29th year in the fire service. And for me, um, it's fast forwarded like crazy. And and I think that the advancement today, you look at, uh, 
you know, where we are today with electric, you know, battery powered, right? And it went from like, you know, uh, battery powered fans to extrication equipment to forcible entry saws, roof saws, right? Like the pro- forward progression. We went for, I remember when I came into fire service in 95, you're probably right around there sometime, I would think, right? With your start, what year did you start? 87. Oh, shit. Man. As a career guy. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, you listen, I thought you were younger, man. See, look at that. Um, <laughs> but I remember thermal imaging, right? Like that was that was new. But if you think about how fast the advancement has been in the fire service, um, I think we're advancing quicker and faster than we ever have before, equipment-wise, training-wise, education-wise. But we have to keep up with what's happening around us. I mean, it's good that we are advancing. Society's advancing as well. Our generations that are coming in are a little bit different. They're cut a little bit different but the equipment is starting to represent that newer generation and how they, how they understand function and, and, and work. It's just an interesting time. Uh, I, I don't think we give ourselves enough credit in the fire service about how we are advancing and how we are moving forward. And I think now today more than ever, we're willing to try different advancements to help us in our mission. No, no, it, it, you're right. And, Looking, you know, I'm thinking as you're talking about yeah. how the innovations, all the battery stuff, you know, look in my ladder truck and my volunteer and my tower and my volunteer department, you cannot find one incandescent light bulb on that fire truck. Oh, that's a good point. Everything is LED that's from the tripod lights to the Pelican lights. Everything's battery powered. Everything's LED. Um, we have one uh, electric smoke ejector. Everything else is a blowhard, you know, battery powered blowhard fan. Um, so that's how everything has evolved. We still have gas-powered saws. You know, you're not going to replace a gas-powered saw unless you get something that's equally as strong up on a roof that's battery-powered. But we do have battery-powered uh, uh, saws, uh, cutoff saws, and things like that for some of the smaller jobs. Um, we we have we just got into the hydraulic uh, hearse tools for our rescue squad. Um, we have hydraulic, and then we also have the battery-powered stuff. Right. So things change. Even looking at our hose lines, you know, when I first started, we were using you know, the, the variable gallonage 50 to 350 right. uh, force tip nozzles right. that if you were lucky, you got 80 gallons a minute out of because you never <laughs> yeah, cleaned exactly. the nozzles out, you know, to exactly. six gallonage uh, nozzles and, and uh, the hose that we're using now, we went from uh cotton hose to when I started cotton hose um, to the synthetic to, you know, when I left Montgomery County, we went back to inch and a half cross lays and people thought we were crazy. But we actually went out, did the research, did the math, hooked up with Mercedes. We uh, we were going to go with inch and three-quarter hose. We said, let's just test the inch and a half so we can say we did it. That way, nobody can say we didn't try. And I uh, had a good team that uh, pulled all that hose together. They put 200 feet of inch and a half in service. And uh, they ran the numbers, and they called me up and said, you're not going to believe this. I said, but we're getting 150 gallons a minute out of this inch and a half, and, and the fire engine's only pumping at 140. And I'm like, run your numbers again. We ran them six times. Yeah. Bought them to the ops chief, bought them to the fire chief. And uh, the ops chief eventually said, hey, let's go back to inch and a half. And uh, that's been about four years now. I've been retired for two, or it's probably been four or five years. And I've been retired for two. And I haven't heard anybody say like, that inch and a half is garbage. They love it. Wow. Now I got people calling me. Hey, man, how did you get the inch and a half hose? I said, I'll send you our research. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty. I'd be interested to in seeing that too, Chief. If you do have it, I'd love for you to share that with me. I'd I'd be very interested in seeing, seeing the research and the numbers on that. That's pretty interesting to me. Yep, sure. it, it it was a good stuff. It was, like I said, I don't work for Mercedes. They were just 
the, the hose that ended up delivering what we wanted. And uh, yeah, yeah, I get I think, it. I get it. I think those guys are, are hitting it pretty hard now. So, well, and I think the, the, the thing is too, though, is you brought up a good point is you did your homework. Right. I think, um, you know, departments need to put the time in. They need to put their own research in. You can go off of whatever uh, Dave Polikoff tells you, you know, that we, they did or tried. But until you put your own hose in the street and you see what works for you, um, you know, and that, I, that's a big part of it. That's a, doing your work, putting the work in, doing your work. Um, that's important. I'll be, I'll, I'll be the first to admit that was probably the scariest thing I've done in my career was putting my name on that inch and a half hose going from inch and three quarter back to inch and a half. Um, thinking, you know, everything running, what if it doesn't work? What if you're not getting the gallons per minute? What if our math was off, even though we did it eight times, what if somebody gets burned, you know? So that was probably the scariest thing that I've done in my entire career was, you know, put my, my stamp of approval on the inch and a half, but ultimately the ops chief had the, uh, the, the final say and, he, he believed in our numbers and what we bought to him and he rubber stamped it. And the fire chief said, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Changing the culture for sure. Talk to me about your, uh, your career in the fire service. I mean, position wise, you said nine years as a captain, uh, what, five years as a Lieutenant. Is that what you said? Yep. I did, uh, I did seven years as a firefighter. So I did, uh, seven years in silver spring, um, downtown silver spring station one, or we call it one engine. Uh, we, um, and then uh, I got promoted out of there as a master, which is basically a technician, like a driver, right? Um, like second officer. You know, if the if the lieutenant was off, then the master would step up and ride the seat. Um, and then from there, I got sent out to Germantown. So Germantown was the northern end uh, of our of Montgomery County. So it's kind of rural out there at the time. Uh, it's not anywhere near what it was. Um, and I did that for about a year, and then transferred to Glenmont, which is in Wheaton downtown. Right. Uh, Glenmont right there at Randolph in Georgia. And that was an awesome assignment. I had a lot of young volunteers at uh, Glenmont Station, Station 18. And uh, those guys wanted nothing more. And there's Kensington had four stations. So nobody liked Station 18, which is how I liked it. Because nobody liked the guys there because they were aggressive and they beat everybody in their first two area. And all they wanted to do was catch fire. Um, so I had a blast there. I was there for a year. I was on the dive team. Uh, underwater rescue team for uh, Montgomery County. So they moved all the water assets, the 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 dive team assets back to Germantown. They upped the staffing. So uh, they said, hey, we're going to transfer you back to Germantown as a master. I'm like, all right. So by the time I was on the lieutenant's list. So I did about a year back at Germantown with, with a great bunch of guys, great officers, great uh, masters, firefighters. Um, and um, did that for about a year and then got promoted to lieutenant and went to downtown Bethesda, which is basically like silver spring except a lot more money there <laughs> so that's on right on the uh the wisconsin avenue corridor on the upper northwest part of dc so a lot of money um a lot of old stuff a lot of high rises so uh i got every every assignment i was assigned to i learned a lot of stuff learned a lot about alarm systems and elevators in uh in bethesda um a lot of old old construction um in the chevy chase and bethesda area and uh so got to learn a lot uh, ran a lot of calls, not a lot of fire, but a lot of calls. And then uh, I did that for about five years and then got promoted to captain. And I went to Glen Echo, which is like, right. It's the most, one of the most Southern stations in Montgomery County, but in probably one of the highest dollar areas next to Potomac. And uh, so we didn't run a lot of calls there, but I made the best of it. I got to exercise a lot of administrative skills as we had some, uh, some bumps that uh, we had to iron out, but uh, ended up with a pretty phenomenal shift that just wanted to do stuff. 
and uh we were out doing stuff all the time got to sleep all night you know yeah. so that's 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 a bonus when did it when did it become a countywide system right because you said when you first got hired you got hired by the incorporated fire company right so yeah i got hired in 87 they went county in 88 so 88. a little less than a year on the job uh we all reapplied uh for the job as county employees and uh in uh, 1988, we went to a county system. And, and, but in uh, the county system is still today a career and volunteer system, correct? Yep. Montgomery County, I'll go out on a limb and say it's probably the largest combination system in the country. Okay. Yeah, it's 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 usually a, a tie between uh, us and and uh, and uh, PG County. Okay. We border each other. Yeah. Well, I know this. I mean, being a being a buff for all these years of who I am and and so on. Every single company you mentioned. I recognize the name, right? I mean, there's this, there's just this way about that mid-Atlantic area that I know of coming from the Northeast that there was, it's a very heavily rooted like volunteer systems that have evolved into combination programs just out of the necessity for having available people. I mean, the, the call volume has gone through the roof and, you know, the responsibilities have grown over the years. And so, but being a student of all that, I'm and watching like every single one of those assignments you mentioned, I recognize the names of those companies. Those are very busy, active companies these days for sure, right? Except Glen Echo. We weren't so busy there, okay. but okay. But like all I said, right. I learned there and yeah, I did I did two and a half years at Glen Echo and then I transferred to Rockville Station Three, yeah. which is downtown Rockville, and uh, had a blast. That's where I met RJ. Mm-hmm. Um RJ runs Capital Fire. I think you had him on your show not too yes. long ago. Yep. Um so it's a funny story is that I was RJ's fire one instructor when he came in as an 18 year old kid. Um, but, uh, and it was one of those, you know, he volunteered at Rockville and then I was the captain at Rockville and, and, uh, we hit it off. And, and, uh, so one day he comes to me and he says, Hey, I'm thinking about starting a training group. You want to be in on it? I'm like, sure. That's how capital fire trust started. So, yeah. but, um, so I did, I did three years at station three. And then I went to the, uh, one of Rockville's other stations, station 23, which is in Twinbrook. And I was there for about four years, another busy station uh, as a captain. I got promoted to battalion chief. And uh, when I got promoted, I was what they called the relief chief. So I worked Tuesday, Friday, 24 hours on Tuesday, 24 hours on Friday. And I worked on those guys, Kelly days when they were off. So I worked in the first battalion and the fourth battalion. So I swung between the two. So the first battalion is Silver Spring, Burtonsville, Hillendale, Tacoma Park, all on the eastern side of of, uh, Montgomery County. And then Battalion 4 was Glenmont, Kensington, Wheaton, uh, Sandy Springs. So two of the busy, one of the busier battalions in the I county. Yeah. I did that for eight years, man. I loved every second of it. Everybody's like, when are you going to get your own shift? And I'm like, I do have my own shift. I have your shift. I have your shift. I have your shift. That's you cool. Know? Yeah. But uh, And then I finally, re- I, I ended up set, I ended up uh, taking a spot in the 1st Battalion as the 1st Battalion Chief on C-Shift. And I did that for a little over a year before I retired but uh, the cool thing was, is that, you know, born in the first battalion, volunteered in the first battalion, got hired in the first battalion, and I retired. Retired, battalion. yeah. So let me ask you then, throughout this incredible career, position-wise, what did you enjoy the most? Do you have a do you have a stint that stands out as your most memorable time or memorable position? Being a captain, a battalion, backstep fireman, like, what about? I know they all have their ups and downs for sure, but there's got to be one that stands out. They, they, you know, I'm not going to try and cop out every spot that I had, whether I wanted to be there or not. Um, I learned something from sure. it, whether it was, uh, you know, better tact, you know, 
becoming a volunteer at Kentland made me a better firefighter. And I was a lieutenant when I became when I uh, joined Kentland. I transferred from Beltsville to Kentland. That made me a better fireman on the career side, um, just because of the volume of calls and the caliber of guys that I was running calls with. But all the assignments that I had, like, you know, being a, a kid in the candy store at Silver Spring, you know, in the high rise district and, you know, we're running high rise fires and, and you know, thinking that, oh, this is just a normal part of the day. I mean, I tell people, you know, yeah, we run four or five high rise fires a year. They're like, what? You know, they, that's unheard of. And I was right. like, well, that's just how it is. That's what I thought. Um, and then even at Germantown, you know, learning rural water supply stuff. I mean, who'd have thought, you know, somebody that had a hydrant every 300 feet and learn how to draft. Um and then same thing in Glenmont, you know, basically it was just two career guys at night um, herding the young uh, volunteers that were there and, you know, kind of having to learn how to, you know, kind of keep everybody in line. So every spot that I was in um, was a great spot. I think, uh, you know, between my first spot in Silver Spring and being at station 23, which was uh, Twinbrook station as a captain before I got prom promoted to uh, battalion chief. Great group of guys uh, on the B shift over at Station Twenty Three. Um, my driver was uh, was a longtime volunteer friend of mine. We volunteered together in Burtonsville. Uh, we still talk to each other today. Matter of fact, he just called me a couple of days ago. Um, he's been retired, but um, and then just and once I left there and became the battalion chief between the two battalions, and then eventually being at the first battalion watching those guys work as a battalion chief. And, and, you know, I don't know if people can understand what I'm saying, but to be able to pull up on the scene of a fire, put the car in park, not have to say anything on the radio because those guys are already doing their jobs. Yeah. I can get my tactical worksheet together and then I can call on the radio. Hey man, give me an L can. And I know they're where they need to be. So it was a lot of small moves on the radio. Um, and those guys made me look fantastic. I mean, what more can you ask for? E even if I was sweating bullets about what those guys were doing, they're feeding me great information. They're making me look great. And um, the the expectations that I had of those guys, they exceeded and then some. So watching those guys go to work, even though, yes, I would have loved to have been in that fire they were in, um, but watching them work, um, it was like watching, you know, a, a Super Bowl football team, you know, or a Stanley Cup hockey team is just so choreographed so perfect um even mistakes that were made they recovered right away and uh and kept moving forward it was you know it was a great experience well it's a good system right i mean when you have that type of culture uh for a battalion to sit back and watch his people play i mean it's it's a you know offensive offensive coach defense coach right coach you know the overall team coach like it's all of it and when when you come off the when they come off the field and and you you have a win and the companies are working well. And even if they fumbled, you know, there's always going to be a fumble or, or, or an interception during a game. But at the end of the day, when it all comes together as the guy at the helm, man, there's nothing prouder. I mean, that's just a very strong, strong part of the job that just rocks. I love that. That's the good thing about the battalion, you know, in the first battalion, it was one of those. And I tell people the first battalion is either you love it or you hate it. But there's no like, that's eh, okay. You either love it or you hate it. And the guys that love it, when they get promoted and they get out of the first battalion, they work their entire career to come back. Get back. Um, and, and they don't care what station they get, ended up getting assigned to. They just want to come back to the first battalion. And, and uh, you know, that's a special uh, place in my heart 
uh, watching those guys go to work, being able to go, you know, mutually to Prince George's County, working with those guys along the line, you know, great working relationship with them. Um, how was your yeah. transition? I mean, how was your transition from the front seat to your own buggy? Like, does does did Montgomery County or do they have a good transition program that sets you up for that title? I mean, I know so many places across the country, they just hand you the keys and go, here you go. Congratulations. And uh, well, it, it wasn't quite that bad. It was, uh, you know, they no. were, they had some battalion training. Um, you know, you, you take your promotional exam, your assessment center, and there's a little bit of that in there. Um, they teach you, we have what's called command competencies, which will, you'll uh, have a scenario that'll play out and you have to command that you have to hit certain um uh, parameters of that, or it's a failure. And right. if you fail, then you have to come back and retest. Um, so we do that once a year, but I got like about five days of training as for my battalion, they call it a bump up class. So I was still a captain, even though I was on the list. Um, so they can't teach you everything. You know, a lot of it, you know, you do a 24 hour ride along. I did a 24 hour ride along with one of my mentors who was my captain when I was at Germantown. Um, so we did 24 hours and didn't run one call. Um, but we did a lot of talking and right. a lot of scenarios and things like that. Um, and then when I got promoted to battalion chief, it was one of those, uh, okay, you're going to be on the one, four relief. Um, you know, you're going to work Tuesday, Friday. So it's kind of like you're, you're working without a net now. And my first year as a battalion chief, and this is no lie, I had 21 working fires Bingo. and not food on the stove. I'm talking like real working fires, a couple of multi-alarm fires, um, couple fatalities. Um, but those guys going to work, you know, in the first and in the fourth battalion, they truly want to be there. Um, so they, it's a pride thing for them not to not do their job or to let the boss down. Um, they're going to do everything they can to get that win. So it made me feel comfortable. Plus we had the second battalion chief that was responding with us. Right. Some senior guy that could get in there and kind of guide you as you were moving along. So I was lucky I got my feet wet in the first year pretty quick. Well, mentorship's important to you because I know you're a leadership guy and you talk about leadership through many different programs, podcasts. I mean, I think you do more podcasts than I do. Um, really, you know, uh, please suck last side alpha leadership politics uh, and tactics on the fire engineering radio platform. You're a busy guy, but I know leadership is important to you. And so then that tells me that mentorship is important as well. Yeah, it's, it's important. And, and, you know, as I get a little older, I look at it as like, all right, well, if I'm leaving, who's going to take my spot? And yes. Is that person ready to take my spot? I, I, the fire service still has this, this, I got mine and I'm going to put my arms around it and not let anybody else have it. Um, and it's got to get to, I got mine and now I'm going to show you how I got mine because when I leave, I want you to be able to do what I do, but better. And that's not a reflection. You know, I want you to be better than me when you, just like your kids, you always want your kids to be better than you, of course. you know, when they grow up, you want the firefighters that are promoting up to Lieutenant captain, battalion chief and so forth. You want them to be better than you. So it's our responsibility to put that out there. Um, I was never one of those kind of guys that like, I got mine, shut my door and, you know, not going to tell anybody else how to get it because my ego would get in the way. But what if they're better than I am? Good. I'm glad they are. Um, and maybe I can learn something from them. But um, I, I, it's important in the fire service because we don't have, like we talked about offline, this coast to coast training uh to be a leader other than nims it's like the yeah. only thing that we have 
Um, so it, it's important for me to make sure that that things that I learned, I can get out. Things that people tell me, uh, I can get on my show and they can put out there, you know, stuff that's good. I, I, I tend to interview a lot of people that I know because I know if they're coming on my platform, they're going to be giving good information as opposed to somebody I don't know that might just throw out some, like, I'm a YouTube fireman. That's all I've ever seen. Um, I, I feel like I have a responsibility that whatever I say, it has to be decent. And, and yeah, whoever's, I, on, I agree. whoever's on my show, it has to be decent. I agree. I mean, there's there is a sense of vetting and being sure that the message being put out is important and and um and that it's valid. Um, it's got to come from a place of uh, understanding. It's got to come from a place of experience, knowledge filled, uh, and so on. There's no doubt, and, and we have all types in the fire service for sure. Um, but today, what's exciting though is we have opportunity to get these messages out there more than ever before. And in a place where, you know, a lot of people are talking about promoting quicker and not having the street experience, but trying to make up for that in other ways. There are other ways, such as podcasts and even vetting content on YouTube or social media to be valid. You can learn from them. And I think that that is filling. It can't fill the void, but it certainly can help shore it up a little bit. Maybe, you know, we need people to do as much as they can to be good about the job and to, and to pursue the job as something that is of a lifelong journey, right. As a student, if you will. I mean, I look at yourself. I mean, you have many, many years in and you're still going super strong and, and you're taking on more and more. And I think that with, with, uh, I don't know, with age comes clarity and, you know, you have the ability now with your experience and knowledge to be able to put that out there on different platforms and to pursue, you were joking about it before. I just can't stop. I started another podcast. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. Like that's because I think you believe in your message and your message is valid and true. And so, yeah, let's get that on the channels that people are paying attention to and let's share our knowledge and experience. We have the obligation to do so. Yeah. I've, I've been, I look at it as, is I've been so lucky uh, that I've got to, work with people that are so knowledgeable that, you know, I just absorbed everything that they taught good and bad. You know, you learn from bad officers, you learn from good officers, but the firefighters that I worked with, the older guys that, that, uh, that taught me, that took the time to teach me. I'm, I'm so fortunate that I had some good people, uh, to teach the things that I'm throwing out there now on the podcast and that I put out on, on, on social media. I'm not making it up. It's, it's been out there. You know, I, Andy Fredericks told me a long, long time ago when uh, we were at fire and when we were at um, at uh, FDIC, I asked him, I said, where do you get all this information for? How do you come up with all this information? He's like, Dave, I didn't write this. He said, this stuff has been out there. I just kind of put it all in one spot and put it on a PowerPoint and I'm teaching it. And uh, that's like, that kind of struck me right there as a young instructor. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I don't have to invent something, but maybe I can take the good of things that I've seen and kind of put it all together and say, Hey, this worked for me. Um, this is some good stuff here and, uh, take, take with it what you can, yes. uh, modify it or, or whatever. So, you know, it, it was kind of like, that was like my watershed moment to like, I want to become an instructor and I want to get on the national stage. And, and, uh, I, I worked towards that. And again, very lucky that, you know, I got to, meet a lot of people and hang out with a lot of people that were on that national stage and I could watch them and the message that they were giving and how they delivered it. And, uh, 
I'm at the point now where if I know something that I think is good, I have an obligation to pass it on. Yes, you um, if you don't want to hear it, you know what? You can turn it off. That's fine. But I feel like I have an obligation that if I've learned something, I should pass it on. I don't believe in putting ourselves in silos. I think that we have to, I know that we have to um, continue to teach the new people that are coming in. And, and, you know, one of my biggest gripes is people complain about the new people coming in saying they're not into the job and they're this and they're that. They don't understand. They don't have a work ethic. And I tell them, I said, they're just different. They're not you. They're not me. They're into the job in their own way. Um, these, I don't want to call them kids because some of them, you know, fairly uh, adults, they do not know what it's like not to have the information at their fingertips instantly. Um, so they can find stuff out right away. So take those new people and meet them on their plane. I'm not saying that you have to be, you know, looking at TikTok 24 hours a day, but you should be able to engage them in what they're looking at and just ask them, what videos are you looking at? What, what, what YouTube stuff are you looking at? And hopefully it's fire stuff. And then look at it with them. Hey, let's put that up on the TV. You know, we can, we can stream that to the TV in the kitchen. Let's take a look at what you're looking at. Let's dissect it. Let's look at it, meet them on their plane. You know, that's how you're going to be teaching the next generation. Wow, and you need to work be chief. You yeah. know, it's, it's, it's easier to point fingers and vilify and blame instead of getting in the trenches with them and learning what they know. I mean, you know, I remember when the cell phone was the problem and then now you look at any, any age group in the firehouse and they're all on it. And, you know, in fact, the older guys might be even on it even more because they're dealing with their third wife and their second, third jobs and everything else. And so, you know, it's easier to blame. It's easier to point fingers. I love the guys that will get in the trenches with these with this newer generation and say, like, what are you looking at? What are you learning? Where are you learning it from? I'd love to see it. Explain where can I get that information? Can I find it somewhere? Can you show me like that's how you get the conversation going? That's how you show them respect and worth that's where they know they can fit in because if you're willing to give them a second to understand where they're coming from we then level the playing field a little bit and i think it takes both sides and this is that bridging the gap program that i do i, I do this i speak specifically to all these things and this is that this is where we need to do that and it takes work on both sides not one generation is right and dave i'm very david i'm very happy with what you said about having to learn and to take what they're doing and put it into your everyday and make it a part of the lesson plan, make it a part of who they are and the identity of the company. That's important. It's very important. I, uh, it's funny because, you know, my daughter does TikTok. I was, I'm not a TikTok fan. Right. Um, ultimately, I, I ended up downloading TikTok because it's easier to make videos on TikTok and to bring them over to uh, Instagram. But, you know, I, you know, I'm I'm the old dog and I'm learning new stuff and and I find it interesting that I, I can actually connect with some of the younger people that are looking at things like that. But like again, it goes back to I, I owe it to the fire service. They've give, the fire service has given me so much. Um I owe it to give back. And and um, you know, that that's that's kind of where where we are now. Um, you know, with with our uh our our uh, our with capital fire training, we we're actually sponsoring. We we throw out tuition assistance for classes and and training things that are coming up. You know, we'll throw money out there if if people want to come to these training classes. Um, we did the same thing at my volunteer house. You know, say so we'll pay for three firefighters to go to a conference that's coming up in Frederick, the Key City Fire Conference. Um, we'll pay you know for some young guys and gals to go um, to go learn. 
uh, from some really good instructors. Same thing with Capital Fire. We'll throw a tuition assistance out there, you know, if first come, first serve, because we want people to get out there and learn. Sure. You can't learn everything from your phone. You have to get out there and put your hands on stuff and, and do it. And um, I think we have an obligation that uh, if we have the, the ability to uh, help people get the training that they need, times are tough, things are expensive. Um, we'll go out on that limb and, and get you, you know, what you need, especially if you want to get out there and, and, uh, and learn something for us from good instructors. So we owe it, we owe it to the next generation coming in. Like, again, I, I was very fortunate with my career. I agree with you. I, I couldn't agree more. And I, it has everything to do with your foundation of upbringing in the fire service. And I think the exposure at the young age being a legacy, I mean, all of that, I think added to where, you know, the buildup of where you are today. Um, for sure. I wanted to ask you as, as the, the times ticket by here, I, I wanted to ask you your new position. I mean, you retired out of Montgomery County as a battalion chief, and then you take a position as the assistant chief of volunteer services for Frederick County, Maryland. Um, another combination department, aggressive department. Um, what is that title? Break that down for me. Give me a little background on what that title is, what the, what the job entails. I'm really interested in that. Well, the um, first and foremost, my boss, my, my first line supervisor, Shane Darwick, he was a retired Montgomery County Battalion Chief, and he and I actually worked together at our training academy. So Shane and I are good friends. We've known each other for a long time. So being able to get hired in Frederick and him be my boss was, you know, like, it's like this That's is cool. perfect. Um, the fire chief in uh, in uh, Frederick, Chief Tom Coe, he... Um, you know, he's a longtime volunteer in Carroll County where we, we both live. So I've known him for quite a while as well. Um, so as, again, luck would have it that this position would come up. Um, I applied for it and got it. And uh, having that experience as a volunteer, still I'm a volunteer. I know what the volunteers need. I know what they want. Um, it's a little different if, from place to place, but the core is the same. You know, our job is to make sure that they get what they need. They get the recognition that they deserve and uh, their training. They get the training that they need. Um, any issues that pop up, we help them with. Um, we do compliance training. We make sure that that gets taken care of uh, every year. Um, just anything that comes across our desk that the volunteers need, uh, we help them with. Now, Frederick County is, is the, I want to say, the biggest county in the state of Maryland. It's huge. Um it's the department, the career side, uh, since I've been there, has gone from uh, 360 career to like five something right now. We're getting ready to have back-to-back -back recruit classes that are going in at the same time here starting in February or March. Um, so it's growing big time. Um, we work with uh, with the volunteers with recruiting and retention. In our, in our office, we have a, an administrative specialist. We have a, a volunteer training coordinator that we just hired. Um, Chief Darwicks, the uh, Deputy Chief of Volunteer Services, uh, myself, and then we have a, uh, a recruiter that uh, she just concentrates on uh, recruiting, uh, going out recruiting, re retaining volunteers, running them through their classes. Um, we stay busy. It's, uh, it sounds like a tremendous commitment to the volunteer foundation from which all these fire companies started from. It, and I tell you, they have some phenomenal volunteers in Frederick County. These guys are diehard, um, been doing it forever. Uh, second, third, fourth generation. I mean, just the, the names, uh, the last names of people are just everywhere. Same last names throughout the entire county that are just in different uh, departments. 
Um, so it's it's an old organization. I mean, some of the, the departments, one of the departments is the oldest in America. Um, one, they, they were in, they're in the Civil War. They went to uh, West Virginia. They loaded up uh, train cars and went to West Virginia um, during the Civil War. So there's a lot of history in Frederick, um, a lot of volunteer history. And um, like I said, the people that are there, they're, they're, uh, they're proud, they're aggressive, they're good firefighters and uh, you know, work hand in hand with the career people. It's another, another combination system. Yeah. How important is it for each department to maintain their own personality? Right. I mean, volunteer um, fire companies, that's what they're that's what they're rooted in, right? Is who they are, their tradition, where they come from. And then when you enter into a combination system, because inherently the system has to work for the people. And if that requires putting some career staff in, a lot of the volunteers don't want to lose their uh their um God, uh, identity. Identity, thank you. Yeah, they don't want to lose their identity. No, and and uh, the 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 thing that I got to credit a lot of these uh, corporations, these volunteer corporations, is they recognize the need for the career staffing during the days yeah. at least, because it's not the fire department from the fifties. Right. You know, we don't work in the hardware store across the street and the house iron goes off and we run across the street and get the fire apparatus out. People work all over the place. You know, all over the Washington metropolitan area. So it gets a little lean during the day. So they recognize that they need the career people, but they still maintain their identity um, with the apparatus that they purchase, with the uh, members that they bring in, uh, the representation that, that they represent themselves uh, at, at different uh, um, events throughout the county. Um, they run functions and things like that. Um, so their identity, it's important to maintain their identity. Uh, a lot of people will look at is you'll you'll start to see the fire apparatus go from you know corporation owned fire apparatus to maybe a county owned fire engine. Let's let's be honest, a new fire engine's pushing a million dollars. Yeah, and that's ridiculous. You know for for uh, apparatus. Um, so you may see a county fire engine uh, being in that station. It doesn't mean that those volunteers have lost who they are. On the contrary, they understand that right. the county's going to give me a fire engine so I can continue to get out the door and serve the public. You know that, and that's what it comes down to: is that that we're there to make sure that the public in each first two area is is safe, and yeah. the uh, volunteers represent themselves very well. Yeah, no, I love that. I think that's. I'm, I'm glad you made that point, and I appreciate that because I think that that's an important part of the conversation because. I'm sure Frederick went through their growing pains. I'm sure Montgomery County went through their growing pains, PG County, all the, all those mid Atlantic, you know, counties that I know are very successful combination systems today. I'm sure they were rooted in growing pains over the years, especially in the early days. Well, the cool thing about it is, is that whatever one department or County is going through, they can just pick up the phone and call the other County and say, yes. Hey, you guys went through this. How did you conquer that? And uh, again, you're taking, you know, what I learned in the fire service and passing it on to the firefighters to what we learn as a county, passing it on to other counties. Um, we had Santa Fe, New Mexico County come to Frederick because they're getting ready to move into this combination system, uh, hiring career people. Um, and they wanted to pick our brain of, of how does it work here in Frederick County? And we sat down and we talked with them, um, told them, yeah, you're going to have some growing pains. I said, but the biggest thing you need to get the heads of the, of the, the fire of the volunteer system. The, uh, if you have a president of the association and the president of the, of the fire union, the career union, and they need to work together. That's the biggest thing right there is you, you all are there for the same thing. Right. One's getting a paycheck. The other one's not. 
But at the end of the day, you're both responding to go put fires out, put people in the back of ambulances and whatnot. There is strength in numbers. Montgomery figured this out. It took a long time. But the union and the volunteer association of Montgomery County, they collaborate on a lot of things and there are strength in numbers and they can get a lot of stuff pushed through the political world when they're a unified front. The more people that start to recognize that and recognize that you guys have shared interests just because these guys are getting a paycheck and these guys aren't, it doesn't make you any different. The job is still the same. And when we're crawling down a hallway and with uh, smoke and I can't see who's next to me. I don't know if you're male, female, black, white, career volunteer. You're just another firefighter going down the hallway with me. Um, so we need to, these these companies, these combination systems, they need to start working together, career and volunteer, and you'd be surprised what you can accomplish, what you can get, and the political movement that you will have. Because most career people don't live in the county that they work in. All the volunteers do. You work as a career person in the county that you're getting paid for. You start to unify a front, you're going to get a lot of things accomplished. I love that. That was really good. Really good. So take me from there. So it's got to be a wild ride. Having a lot of fun, I'm sure. Still enjoying going into work every single day, I'm sure. I do. Now it's every day. It's not shift work anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> not Tuesday, Fridays anymore. Yeah. Nope. But um, but with that, though, too, you're staying busy on the outside. So talk to me a little bit about some of your endeavors, too. I mean, I know you're involved with fire engineering. You teach at FDIC, obviously. Uh, I just saw your uh, – I think I, I just saw it pop up the other day that you're going to be uh, lecturing again at FDIC this year. Um, and I know, uh, you know, you work with RJ and, and, and part of the capital – um, you know, the cap, uh, what should we call it? Capital capital fire training, capital fire training. Sorry. That's uh, all good. you know, and so on. So, you know, it's just, you're staying busy, right? You're staying busy outside of the career. What does that look like for you? I mean, what's, what's pushing you to stay so busy, just that give back that, that obligation to give back. There's that. I, I think I still have a lot of hyperactivity in me, <laughs> you know, left over from, from uh, as a kid, you know, I, I played, you know, we played hockey with the fire department league, softball, things like that. So, you know, as you grow older, your mind wants to do it, but your body says, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Right. So right. Right. Really can't do that. But, uh, you know, staying busy with the volunteers, with the career, with the family as well. You know, my wife's a nurse, so she works shift work. My kids are old enough now that they can stay on their own. My daughter's in college now and they still ask us questions, which is good. Ask us for our advice, which is good. It. We appreciate yeah. that. Um, we go camping, you know, we got a camper, we go camping in the summer and fall and sp spring, summer and fall. Um, so we just stay busy. Um, got to go to the beach once a year. That's my wife's happy place. Um, we take her to the beach and we stay out there for a week in Delaware. Um, but yeah, we, uh, we just, I just feel like I can't sit. I can never sit. I always want to be doing something. Yeah. Um, and, you know, my phone, you know, you got the the notes program on your phone. I'm constantly going down the road, you know, to, hey, Siri, and then, you know, saying something. And and uh, and she's trying to record me now um, yeah. and just record something on there because I got an idea of something like that. You know, that's where the podcast came from. That's what where I the, you know, Please Suck Less podcast came from, you know, and, you know, ideas for the politics and tactics. And then, you know, hey, we want to make sure we go camping. We want to invite these friends, make, you know, so it's. Always inside of every guy's head it's spinning a thousand yeah. miles an hour but on the outside we're like i'm good yeah what do you like to i mean you like to focus on leadership i believe that's your your forte right i mean other than the hands-on obviously engine truck you know written rescue work things like that 
But the leadership, that mindset, that leadership, that foundation, I mean, that's important to you. It is. I think, uh, like I said, I look, everything I look back, I was never in the military, but I talked to a lot of guys that have been either non-commissioned officers or gone through, you know, come out as a, as a first lieutenant and they move through. And I ask them about the training that they have, whether they're in the army, the Marines, the Navy, they all have their schools and they're all taught the same way. So when they're leading their people, they're all leading the same way. So when you leave one platoon in, you know, Washington state and you go to, you know, Maryland, if you're at Fort Meade, well, what you learned out in, on the West coast is the same thing you learned on the East coast. Um, so I think it's important for me to, what did I learn? What have I learned in the fire service in the mid Atlantic area? What have I learned from my friends that are in the Northeast? What have I learned from my friends in the South and, and so forth? And where do we find these common bonds that we can talk about leadership? Um, and, uh, you know, then you go out and you just talk to the firefighters. You sit down at the kitchen table and say, hey, guys, let's have a BS session. Let's talk about, you know, what do you think a leader? What does a leader look like to you? Yeah. And let them tell you. And uh, what I found is that just talking to different um, people in different firehouses up and down the coast, it's all the same. They want the same thing. They want fairness. They want consistency. They want knowledge of the job. They want uh, them to let them do their job without micromanaging. Uh, they want them to have learning experience as opposed to, I just got in trouble because I made a bad decision. Uh, they want real hot washes. Tell me what I did wrong and how can I improve? All of that stuff is the same coast to coast, north and south. So that's the stuff that I want to put out there to tell people, hey, in order to be a good leader, you have to have these characteristics. You have to learn how to gain respect. How do you gain respect? You have to be a good human being. Got to be humble. You know, I, I have it written on my wall, you know, accountability, courage, integrity, and humility. Those are the pillars of being a good leader. Once you start truly being that, people will see you as a genuine leader and they're going to follow you. But as a leader, you also have to be a good follower. You know, you can't always be the one that's doing the drills. Have that new firefighter saying, hey, you just got out of recruit school. You did some stuff on three to ones on the, on rope work. Why don't you set one up and show us how it works? And now you're empowering that guy yes. to give a drill that you trust him. And they're going to remember that. Yeah, for sure. I just find it really interesting. Leadership has become such a hot button topic. When you look at like all the the books that are out and, and, you know, New York times bestselling list and the, you know, the day of the front tables at Barnes and Noble. So many are leadership stories, leadership books, um, you know, self-help things like that. And I, I often think about it and I go, man, I don't remember that being the topic it was, you know, yesterday as it is today. And it just seems like people are seeking more. Like we're, we're in a place today where, we're willing to ask for help. We're willing to look for and seek, seek answers to questions we have where I feel years ago, we might not have done so much of that, um, which I think is good on a lot of fronts. Um, maybe, maybe a little detrimental. I don't know. I think sometimes figuring it out for yourself, finding your way sometimes can, can certainly help. Uh, but also having, you know, the tools available to you, people like yourself, uh, I even hit on some leadership stuff in my program. You know, uh, I don't claim to be any type of leadership uh, authority, but, you know, there's certain, you know, pillars of 
of life. Be a good person. I agree with you, David. I, I, that's, I talk about that all the time. Just be a good person and I can get you very far in life. Um, but it's interesting. Uh, leadership is a very hot button topic today, more so than there, I think it's ever been. There's a lot of books out there, you know, and, and I'm very particular with what I, mm. what I read and what I listen to. I do a lot of audible books because I'm in the car a lot, especially when I was a battalion chief, but, um, very picky with what I listen to. I, I really haven't read any fire department leadership books. Um, believe it or not. Uh, cause I think a lot of it's subjective is dependent upon where you are, what your experiences are. I mean, if you, if you are an FDNY guy, what you're doing up there is a little bit different than what we're doing down here in the mid Atlantic. You know, Frank Ritchie and I wrote an article on just being incident commanders. They love commanding outside of the vehicle where in the mid Atlantic, Dude, we're in the car with the windows rolled up and the heater on when it's cold or the air conditioner on when it's hot. But that's how it's a little different. Right. Um, but I've read a lot of, of uh, what, I, when I, what I look for in a leadership book is I want to read a book about somebody who's been there. So if I'm reading a fire service book, I want to read a book about somebody who has been in, in a high rise fire, who has been on the nozzle or pulled people out of buildings. Um, same thing with military leadership. I want to read about guys that have been to war. You know, you can't just talk about war if you've never been to war. Um, those guys are bringing that stuff from the front lines. So that's kind of the things that I'm looking at when it comes to uh, leadership reading wise. I want to read it by people that have been there and done that. Maybe I've gotten the T-shirt. I'm smirking because I think you just answered my question. You gave me the answer I was looking for. That's probably why it's become such a hot button topic is because the, the experience in leadership isn't there or compared to what it used to be. I mean, you know, and, and the people that have been there and done that, um, that list is starting to filter out a little bit, you know? Uh, and so, you know, we're seeking external sources to help us guide ourselves. We don't have those guys in every firehouse anymore. We don't have those guys, in every command staff anymore that have been there and done that. And I think that that might, David, thank you. That was, uh, that was good, man. I appreciate that. Well, I think what, what you're finding, and I agree with you hundred percent, you know, fires are down, not like they were back when America was burning. Um, those guys aren't around anymore, but if you, if you have those old guys that come to the firehouse that drink coffee, I urge you to sit down with them and have them tell you stories. Um, there is so much knowledge you can gain, but looking at it from the military aspect, dude, we just had 20 years of war. Yes. And those guys bought a lot of stuff back from the lines yes. that we can put in, in our everyday life. Um, I had the, I was fortunate enough that I got to go see, I was invited to go to a, uh, a symposium that Howard County Police Department was putting on. Um, and the lady that invited me, she says, hey, if you want to come, I got an extra seat. Um, there's a group called Echelon Front that's going to be teaching. You ever heard of them? I said, yeah, I've heard of them. And uh, and I said, well, who's 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 speaking? And she said, uh, I don't know. I said, I'll, I'll send you the receipts of you know, the person that's coming. So it was Jason Gardner. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he's worked a long time with Echelon Front. And when it was all, you know, the things that he was talking about in the military, I'm like, dude, we do that every day with incident command, you know, the things that you're talking about. And we struck up a conversation uh, after the, the, the symposium was over and we talked and picked his brain and I gave my card. I said, I'd love to have you on my show. And he actually came on my show a couple of times. Nice. Um, great insight on, you know, being, frontline military you know obviously the training that you went through as a navy seal and then frontline training so we've had 20 years of war so we've got good books that are out there of people that have gone through and le lessons that they've learned along the way 
we're losing that in the fire service. And, and again, these older guys that are out there, you know, FDIC, I'm not trying to toot the horn of FDIC, but you know, these are guys that you read their books, the John Normans and, and, and all that they're out there. The, the Billy Dunn's you can talk to these guys. They're just like, Hey, what's going on, man. You know, and you can talk to them and, and uh, listen to their stories because those are the guys that, that have been there and done that. And, and I think it's important that we, we hear what they have to say and, and, and then learn from their experiences. Yeah, I agree. I couldn't agree anymore with you. Final thoughts, last words. We've been going for a while. I don't want to keep you all night, but uh, what, did, what did we miss? We miss anything that's important to you? I don't think so. I, 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 people that know me know that they know when I'm in my office because they hear my music. Uh, so they know I'm in the office. So let's um, do a Megadeth t-shirt on right now. We <laughs> talked about it before we hit record. Uh, you were, you were telling me how you were quite the metalhead. You were actually, we were in a band. Uh, I love all of that because I can relate. I mean, my, my 17 year old daughter, I was telling you before Paige, absolute metalhead. Um, and she loves everything across the board was really cool, but she dove hard on like 80, like seventies, eighties, nineties, um, which is super cool. Cause that's right. Right. In my wheelhouse. And so mm -hmm. we have the same music styles. We, we love the same stuff this summer. We did uh, Metallica. We did uh Def Leppard, Motley Crue. Uh, we did, uh, God, I can't, there was a bunch more. It was a, it was a banner summer of concerts and yep. there's nothing better than taking your kid with you. Your daughter, I took my daughter. She's so awesome. And we rocked and it was so much fun, man. It's, so it, fun. it's funny, you know, watching my kids go from kids bop and Disney. Yeah. 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 Now, now they're listening to Tesla and Skid Row, right? um, you know, and it's still a big fan boy. You know, I still follow all those guys. Um, I, I sent a message to Sebastian Bach. He's got a brand new song that just came out and I listened to it and I'm like, bro, I said, that's like back in the eighties, man. That's awesome. And he sent back, he liked my tweet. I'm like, Holy shit. He liked my, yeah, yeah, he yeah, liked yeah, what yeah, I, I said, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, music has always been a part of my life and, and, uh, you know, that's, I love, you know, the music. I love some of the new stuff. Grunge killed it for me. I'm not a big grunge fan. So sorry, uh, anybody that's listening to that. I think grunge ruined music personally, but that eighties, wow, that eighties wow. stuff was starting to get a little tired because it was the same thing over and over again. But what came out of grunge, the stuff that's out there now, you know, clutch, they've been around for a long yeah. time. Yeah. Um, you know, corn's been around for a long time, sure. uh, but now they're just coming in, in, into their thing, you know, three days, grace, uh, disturbed, you know, yeah. all, all that stuff that has splintered off of that grunge. And it's gotten back to that hard edge metal guitars, you know, diehard Van Halen fan always will be. Sure. Um, but you know, just the stuff that's out there now, you know, even Metallica is putting out great stuff still. Um, huge metal head fan, you know, you know, front row three times watching war back in the day. War. You know, yeah, man. <laughs> but that's uh, very cool. Well, I mean, that must be your disconnect. I mean, you know, you, not every day is sunshine and rainbows. You know, it's a good career, but there's down days. And, um, you know, we're we're actually on one of our other programs, The Size Up, uh, we were talking about this morning. And, um, you know, his his uh, line is because what you do off the job matters. And he's going after, you know, the other side of the job, which is your downtime and how you recharge, how you can disconnect, how you can find yourself again, ground yourself so you can get back to the firehouse in three days. Like, you know, those are those are those conversations. And so, you know, I get it. Music is a good way to unplug and and um, and shift your focus. It's a good way to check out for a little bit. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, with family, you know, watching the kids do their thing and, and sure. uh, they keep us busy, but uh, yeah, you know, being on day work now, you know, I don't, we, most, most of the senior staff doesn't work Friday, Saturday or Sunday. So, you know, we, we, we make up our hours, but uh, yeah, you know, looking forward after Sunday, you know, Hey, I'm going to give them back to go to work on Monday. Look forward to it. So as long as I'm still looking forward to going to work, I'm still enjoying what I'm doing. But uh, having that downtime and, and uh, just kind of hanging out with the family, even if we're just sitting around the living room watching TV, it's all good. I love it. Well, David, thank you for joining me today in the podcast. I truly appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule with everything that you do, uh, including your own podcast. Uh, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for taking me up on the offer. And uh, it was great getting to know you a little bit more. So thanks for joining me. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. It's been an honor. Like I said, I've been following it for a long time and, and uh, thank you. it's an honor to be on here and, uh, you know, get the word out. That's pretty cool. Very cool. David Polikoff, the assistant chief of volunteer services out of Frederick County, Maryland. Thank you for joining me, brother. You can find him at side Alfred leadership varsity Truckee, Uh, and the other one, which I love is please suck less. I love it, man. Good stuff. Keep putting out good stuff into the funnel, making our job better. Keep keep up the good work, David. Thank you for joining me again. Appreciate you. Thank you. Good. Stay right there. I'm going to sign off the podcast, and I'll come right back to you, man. Mm -hmm. Everybody, thanks for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. What a great conversation. A lot to unpack here, so do me a favor. Take this conversation, take it back to the firehouse, and talk about it, because when we talk about the job, we are making the job better. I'll see you at the next one. Thanks for tuning in. Jeremy, National Fire Radio. Fire Radio.